Formula Access. You all have been asking for US-based guests. Today, got them. I don't have just one. I have three. So today we're going to be speaking with Nick DiOrlando. Uh, Nick uh, is the 2021 F1600 champion. He had a Max Verstappen-esque season and won a ton of races, threw up a ton of huge numbers, uh, took the championship, uh, entered USF 2000 and 2022. Uh, unfortunately, he could only make the final four races of that season, and all four races were impeccable. And he is shooting for a full season um, of USF in 2023. You guys, uh, Nick is one of two champion bred brothers in motorsports. Um, in two weeks, we'll have Michael DiOrlando on the show. He is the 2022 USF champion. And later on, we will have um, the parents of, of uh, Michael and Nick. So you guys, incredible story. Uh, we go through um, a family that has um, slugged it out to get these boys into motorsports and get them to where they are. It has come with great sacrifice. Uh, it is uh, truly one of those um, stories of adversity that we can all get our arms around. Uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and um, just a really tight, genuine family of humility. And um, you guys are going to enjoy this seriously. Like I've I've spent a ton of time off camera with them, and they're just uh, they're really really amazing humans. So you guys enjoy. Formula Access, welcome. It's where we bring the people of motorsports to your doorstep. I try really, really hard to bring you a multitude of series, a multitude of titles, uh, a multitude of people. And today we've got a really special guest. I've been getting a lot of requests from people to have guests from the States on the show. And you guys, we've got, we've got some. Here. This is going to be a family event. This is going to be a multi-part series. Uh, we've got an entire family uh, coming on to this particular show. So today we have Nick DiOrlando. Nick, man, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Ryan. It should be a lot I, of fun. Yeah, I know we don't totally know each other, but I've actually kind of been following you and your brother, unbeknownst to you. Uh, I've, I've made a lot of contacts in the, the USF series. And so I've, you know, I was at St. Pete watching the race this year and, and just had kind of followed the live streams throughout the season. And, and, uh, you and your brother came up quite a bit and, uh, I'm really excited to have you. Um, when your mom reached out to me for the show, a quick little intro conversation, like who are you and what can you do for my boys turned into like an hour and a half conversation like you've got some really special parents i really enjoyed that conversation they um they do a, they do a lot to you know get michael and i out there and help uh 
find as many people as we possibly can to, you know, promote us and who we can help back. So it's a family affair. I, I got to say, I feel like in the in the years that I've been around motorsports, I would say, you know, maybe two years I've been around a lot of the, more of the support series, junior series, karting, things like that. It it's like the only thing that I have experienced where the whole family is involved and engaged and in, in the career or just the uh, in the process in and of itself. So just to get started and inform the audience, let's who are you and like what do you do today? So currently I am going to race USF 2000 in 2023. Um, in 2022, I did the last four um, weekends of USF 2000 after, well, beginning the season in USF Juniors, uh, which started last year. And then back in 2021, I was the Formula Race Promotions F1600 champion with Team Pelfrey. Okay. All right. Just to inform the audience, what exactly is the F1600 series? Was was that the tier just below USF? Um, the F1600 series is um, what most would consider the entry level to cars. Um, they're known everywhere else as Formula Ford. Um, in the U.S., we have a, a Formula okay. Ford series, but we call it F1600. It's the okay. Now it's we the know entry level to cars. Typically, you could go from USF to USF from 1600. So, as a fan of competition. Rather than the glitz and glam of motorsports myself, I always urge new fans to follow the support series of motorsport, whether that is, you know, F4, F3, F2, uh, you know, the road to Indy. I don't know what they call it now, but um, I always urge people to follow those series because they're a spec series. All the cars are allegedly created equally and you get a really good sense of the raw talent coming up, but you also get the story of the driver. Um, it allows you to kind of follow that journey. I go back to GP2. The only season I ever watched of a support series before the road to Indy was the 2006 season of GP2, where I followed Lewis Hamilton as he entered the sport. So around all of the the media frenzy of the top tier, whether it's Formula One or IndyCar, I had an understanding of who who was coming up and, and it has forced me to kind of pay attention to the to the support series and and follow these stories and journeys as they go. And I gotta say, like I was I was looking at your bio and your most recent accomplishment of twenty twenty one, you know, F sixteen champion, eighteen podiums. 12 wins, three seconds, three thirds, seven pulls, 11 fastest lap. Like this is like the 2022 season for Verstappen. Like those are some serious numbers to hang your hat on. Like, I hope you, I hope you realize that in a spec series, like how, how many races are actually in that, that season? So over eight weekends, my year, it's 24 races. So you podiumed all but six races. Yeah, yes. podiumed all but six and won 50%. Jeez, unbelievable. How, 
how did the last four of USF go? The last four of USF, I'm I'm very happy with. Um, coming from not testing that car before, and I jumped between two different, you know, both very, very accomplished teams. Um, the first two I did Road America and then Mid Ohio with um, VRD Velocity Racing Development. Um, I was able to put together a fastest racing lap in my first race, <laughs> um, and a top 10, I believe, in my second. That was at Road America. And then come mid-Ohio, I placed another top 10 finish with the same team. And then I switched teams for Toronto, which was quite eventful being my first street race. Um, I, yeah, I took home one top 10 that weekend as well and finalized Portland with another top 10. So four top 10s in four weekends was pretty good for my first uh my first try at usf 2000 now for the audience to understand in this support series the cars change you know there's certain elements added you know to the overall picture of like a of a car with no aerodynamic elements um to you know what you see at the the top level of indycar what, what's the difference in 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 the chassis or the car between the f-16 and the um and the usf so the f1600 um they're 990 pounds dry weight um, without me in it um and they're just a tube frame chassis um, there's no wings there's no arrow it barely even has a diffuser so the car is extremely unstable at high speeds and they only have 114 horsepower um so the drafting game is a big part of F1600. USF 2000 has 500 pounds of downforce. They're about 300 pounds heavier, and they pull a lot more uh, G-forces in corners and such, and they have 170 horsepower. So the, the speed that USF 2000 gets to or can accomplish around corners and around a track is substantially greater than that of Formula 1600. What What's the learning curve between the two cars? I mean, it's got to be significant. I Okay, so I cart with my son occasionally, and I've, I've gone from, you know, a, a 206, which is kind of your entry-level cart, to, you know, like, an, like a high-speed electric cart. You know, so you have almost that, that tag response, touch-and-go response. And it takes it takes a minute to get a hold of how to drive that cart. What's what's the learning curve between those two series? The biggest learning curve um, for me personally was to deal with understanding the aerodynamics of the USF 2000 car. Having downforce um, allows you to be a lot more aggressive um, in corners and carry such more such higher speeds, um, you need to understand how to use it um, and how to be prepared for it. The USF 2000 car also having a lot more power, you have to understand how to manage your rear tires a lot more than in 1600. The way you apply power has to be a lot smoother, whereas in Formula Ford or F1600, you can just pretty much floor it and 
you know, having 114 horsepower, you're not going to do anything to those rear tires. So. <laughs> so take us through take us through the 2021 season. So you what what did you do prior to that? Were you were you in karting before that season? Was that your first open wheel kind of actual car challenge? Before 2021, um, I actually did nothing for two years. I sat on the sidelines um, watching my brother race in 2019 and 2020. Um, so I drove carts before that, of course. Um, I started in like 2008, and I drove carts all the way through 2018. Um, the last years being uh, for factory teams racing in the CIK FIA European Championships of karting. Um, so I have definitely gained a lot of experience running overseas, but 2021, after two years of not driving, was my first time in an open-wheel formula car, um, and we definitely went out with a bang, <laughs> or went in with a bang, I should say. So, you know, weekend to weekend, we were consistently fast, of course, from the get-go. Uh, the team and I worked great together, and we were able to just consistently produce, you know, results back to back to back to back all season long. What do, What do you think attributed to that? Was it like a just a deep desire to win? Was it just everything felt right? Everything worked right? You and your engineer were were lockstep. Like what? What do you attribute that to? I definitely had a very good relationship with my engineer. Um, I've known him for years before, and my brother, when he started racing cars, tested with them, and we, we grew a, a good relationship with the team ahead of time. Um, and when I you know, sat on the sidelines for 2019 and 2020, I still got to go to all Michael's events. So I was not driving, but I was learning and gaining experience from being around, around him, around his team, because um, he was with uh, Cape Motorsports then and before that with VRD and F4 um, and Benick and USF 2000. But I had all that time with, with him and with the teams uh, in USF to kind of, you know, take in some of that information and be able to apply it uh, in Formula 1600. Along with my two years of racing go-karts in Europe, coming from uh, the U.S., being one of the only Americans, and actually I believe I was the top finishing American yeah. both years, um, there was definitely a desire to, to go out there and win because coming from here to go race carts over there, I, I got my butt kicked for a, a fair amount of time. Um, and then you know, eventually I started to figure it out, um, definitely positioning myself better and doing better in all those races. But when it became you know, my time again, you're on my own turf. It was definitely put the foot down and go. What's that? What's that like? Uh, and I'll get back into 2021. But what? What was that like going to Europe? I mean, is it an entirely different set of competitors than you're used to here, or is it? Is it the same? Europe is very different in karting than America, at least for me. Then um, it was definitely more competitive. Um, not everybody got to race in the finals. You know, there's only. 30, I think it was 34 people get to race in the actual main event, but like 70 enter. <laughs> so there's Jeez. such a broad range uh, of people um, that you have to compete against. And any of them 
you know, could come to an event and be top five, top ten here. So it's the highest of high drivers. Like the, the top talent is still the top talent. You know, the top guys over here can go do really well over there. But there's just a, a much broader range of that top talent over um, in the European karting. So it was definitely a great learning experience to, to run around with those guys for two years. So so take us through the 2021 season. So you're two years on the sidelines, and, you know, you're kind of, I don't know, when I think of that story, I think of, you know, Lando Norris sitting on the sidelines in McLaren waiting for the one day to come. You know, I think of uh, Nick DeVries. I think of, you know, a handful of other drivers that you see in the paddock on TV all the time that never get to step in a car. Like, you go from that to jumping into this car you've never driven before and, like, dominating. Like, do you, does this start right away? Like, do you just go in and win the first race, or did it take a second, or? The first race, um, I did two pre-Formula Race Promotion Series um, races. I did two SCCA events. And actually, my first ever race, I think second time in the car, or I guess it would be third third day ever in the car um, in an SCCA event, I went and qualified on pole and won the race. <laughs> so um, it started the uh, first event in the actual race season, um, in the Formula Race Promotion season. I didn't start on pole. Um, I didn't even win the first event. I actually didn't finish. Uh, I had I got into an incident and didn't finish the race, um, but you know I learned from that moment. And race two and three of the weekend, I went out and tried my best to not have to deal with anybody, which worked out because I ended up winning by like four and then eight seconds. So I I made it clear that I was not uh, not having a repeat of race one. So. Um, it did pretty much come out first weekend, and you know, all right, let's get the ball rolling, win some races. What did you What did you learn? Like, if you were to to package that whole season up, what was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway from the season, even though it wasn't super apparent that year, was how important it is to finish races. Um, because you know, I had 18 podiums, but out of those six races that I didn't podium, I only finished, I believe, three of them. Okay. So there was, you know, no one's going to be perfect, of course, but there was a little more time uh, on the side of the racetrack in those three races than I would have liked to have, you know, given the position I was fighting for in all scenarios. So, I mean, even, for example, the last, the very last race of the season, I got a little greedy. I wanted to win by more, and I drove off track, and that ended my race weekend. Now, I, I still won the championship, but I ended on a, a, a low for, at least in my head, I ended on a low because I didn't finish the last race of the season. You know, having been around, having been around the sport, I think consistency is so important. I think especially in the support series, Finishing the race and getting, you know, the one point is, you know, just as valuable as, as winning the race. I think that consistency trend translates throughout the whole season. 
What surprised you the most during that season? Besides the stellar record that you took away from that, what what surprised you? The biggest surprise for me, um, honestly, was how how it started. Um, because I didn't, obviously, like I just said, I didn't finish the first race. And then the next two, I went out and won. Um, and then I wasn't actually leading the championship after that because someone was consistent <laughs> in the first weekend. Uh, <laughs> but what surprised me most was, I'd say, how important the draft was, for example, in that series. The tires are, are very large. And if you can get right exactly in line behind another car, you pick up so much speed. It's it was quite mind-boggling to be uh, to be completely honest. Um, like at some races during the year, for example, Road America, there was like a six or seven mile an hour difference if you were following someone or not. That's insane. <laughs> That's a lot of speed. How far How back far do you, back you feel, that? feel that? Like, how close do you have to be to feel that? A actual number distance is kind of hard to say. I, you can be within about a second of somebody, about a second behind them, and you can feel that advantage on a, on a straightaway. So maybe some scenarios, a little around a thousand feet, maybe. Wow. Well. I don't know, maybe a little under a thousand feet, you can start to understand that there is some sort of difference if you're perfectly in line. What was the hardest thing for you to overcome that season? What was the most challenging thing that you you dealt with? The most challenging thing of 2021 was, unfortunately, (laughs) uh, learning how to work with people. (laughs) Uh, For whatever reason, I... I struggled with that in the beginning, um, and trying to manage my own race instead of, you know, trying to pay attention to everybody else. Uh, I spent too much time in my mirrors, you know, trying to think of, you know, why is this guy so close to me, and why, and instead of, you know, how do I use him to help us both or to help me. So it was just a, a slight change of mindset I needed to have, which I definitely learned. Um, I'd say about halfway through, and there was a clear there was a clear difference. If you look at the results in the beginning of the season to the results in the end of the season, the consistency changed, and I think it was probably due to uh, a little bit of a thought process change while on track. What What do you feel like you could hang your hat on? Okay, what exactly do you mean by that? If you want to say the results, you could hang your hat on. That's fine too. I, I, you know, look, I think when you learn something, you, you have a great takeaway that you can hang your hat on, too. But I also think that, you know, through any experience you have in life or adversity you have in life, you, you, you have something that you can kind of walk away from regardless of the results. If you didn't win, if you finished last, whatever it was. I think it would definitely, definitely have to be related to what I, what I learned in those coming uh, first coming races um, like I just mentioned the biggest thing I had to overcome was learning how to manage myself and others on the racetrack 
efficiently, you know, to collectively benefit me and others, not just figure out why can't I get in front and drive away because that doesn't it, it doesn't happen that often. So I think that's something I'm uh, definitely very proud of learning. But I also am quite content with my results of the season. So you should be. <laughs> Those are great results. Those are not. Uh, those are not normal. Those are abnormally amazing. And you should hang your hat on that too. What What is your origin story, Nick? Like, how did you? So you're in New York. How did you get started in motorsport? Well, the way I know the story goes is, my brother and I liked watching racing on TV, um, and I believe it had something to do with us wanting dirt bikes if I remember correctly I don't know I was five and Michael was six um, but our family thought you know what let's make it a little bit safer and keep all four wheels on the ground um, so we my dad had a friend um, his name is Frederick Vortemeyer who used to race modified NASCAR and he knew of a, a local outdoor go-karting track um, so they recommend us, recommended us to go up there, uh, Oakland Valley Race Park uh, in Cuddybackville, and we gave it a try one day. And uh, I guess we've loved it ever since, you know. So we went out, drove those go-karts, um, and what I remember being the story that they told mom and dad was, well, we got good news and bad news. The kids are really good at it, but the sport's really expensive. So, you know, good luck. <laughs> And um, we liked it enough, and Mom and Dad were happy enough that you know we were happy with it, that we've all decided to go for it. And, um, you know, what, 15 years later, we're still here. So how, okay, how, okay. So, how does this how does start? start? So you have, you, have, you go to a go-kart go track. Go Obviously, you've not bought a go-kart go yet, go yet, yet at this point, point, just when you're, when you're kicking, kicking tires, tires, per se. Per se. How do you go you from, go from your, son's your son's really good, really good to, to we just bought a go kart, a trailer, a bunch of tools, a bunch of tires, and we're gonna go light a bunch of our life savings on fire, so our kids can see a dream out. Like how how does all this happen? My dad um, has always been into cars, and he he liked the idea of racing because he's always been interested in that type of stuff. Um, and I believe, you know, once he saw his kids were heavily interested in it and enjoyed it their first day, it became this, uh, you know, this family thing that we would go do on weekends. And as the success started to, you know, to, I guess, start, <laughs> um, when we were really, when we were really little and, you know, kid carts, um, mom and dad and Michael and I, you know, the whole family decided... We, we like this, and then we bought our own kid carts, you know, did it weekend to weekend instead of renting. I still have mine in the garage, <laughs> so um, it became this family affair, and a couple, I'd say probably a year or two later, um, we got older and into faster carts, and then it became out of mom and dad's hands at that point. So we tried other sports, you know, I, I played soccer. Uh, football, lacrosse, swimming. I even tried tennis, but none of those things really stuck for me. And the same for my brother. So we just 
kept coming back. So in the early so the days, early was, day, it, was it was Dad the mechanic? mechanic. Mom, was, Mom the was the business end. Business yes, you can yes, spend you can that, money. that money. Yes, you can yes, get that part. Get that part. <laughs> in the in the early in the early beginnings, yeah, Dad was the mechanic. Um, Mom, Mom tried to do some mechanic too. You know, she put fuel in the cart. She could lift them for us because we were tiny. So, uh, you know, she was more medical. Make sure the kids are safe when they get off track, and you know, not dead if they run into a pole or something. <laughs> so. Um, Everyone had their part. Uh, mom definitely. Uh, mom definitely controls some of the business now, and Dad's now uh, what we call, you know, Mom's logistics. Dad's what the tech department, you know. Okay. So it, it's evolved from mechanic and uh, safety to logistics and business. <laughs> <laughs> it's real now, real right? Now, it's right? real. It's, it's not. It's not, not a it's weekend. Not a weekend uh, uh, Club soccer. It's, it's a lifestyle. It became very real. Yeah, it started to get real when we went national karting, and Dad started to have less input on you know changes we made on go karts and stuff. It became you know a little bit above his pay grade, and then we were like, all right, not my job anymore. <laughs> who? So who was who was leading that? Was that you, or did you start to bring? Professionals, professionals in per se. What we what we did at first was we went and believe mom and dad went half half in on a racetrack. Um, we the track that we started at, they partially like we co-owned with uh, another group of people, and we were able to find mechanics and uh, coaches and stuff through the track because they had. You know, schools and stuff that offered that, um, and then from there, after meeting the right people, um, you know, my brother and I pushed to to continue. So, mom and dad supported that idea and pretty much put us in the hand of some coaches and said, "All right, go racing." So your older your brother older races, brother races too. too. Competitor, competitor or biggest, or biggest fan? fan. <laughs> we were competitors at one point, um, and if we drive against each other, very much competitors. But we are definitely each other's biggest fan. Um, I mean, I've said for years the only people I look up to is, you know, in terms of racing, is I don't know some of the people I've met, um, mm -hmm. like Daniel Ricardo and stuff, and my brother. It's always been Michael. We've worked together. Our entire careers, um, learn from each other consistently. If if you could put the two of us together, we always say you'd have a, you know, the most legendary driver ever. <laughs> so, how do you how do you guys do you keep, guys that, keep healthy? that healthy? You're you're competitors, you're competitors okay? okay? Like, like let's, just let's just keep that keep as the that basis, as the basis of, it. of it. Like, like to me, to I think me, that's, I think really, that's amazing really amazing that you that can you keep that keep healthy. That healthy. And, and drive forward. forward. Well, when we were little, we didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we used to argue all the time, um, you know, poke at each other somehow. But that's what all young brothers do. And then through the teams and stuff we worked with, um, I ra we raced for Team J3 competition. Um, through the people we met there, they taught us 
how much we could benefit from working together. And it became this, I want to win, you want to win, so let's work together and figure out how each of us can win. And it's always, it was success-based. And then it became, um, you know, as we got older and more mature and, you know, real brothers, um, you know, not always getting at each other's necks for being competitive. And we learned how to work together. And I don't know, it just, our lives kind of came together and benefited both of us. So we learned how to work together. Uh, that's the best way I can put it. Well, give, okay. give me some hope as a dad of teenagers. Like, when did this start? When when did you guys become, like, brothers and not, I don't know, I don't want to call it enemies. I think that's bad. But, like, when did it get healthy? It started to get healthy as we got older and actually learned more about, like, streetcar stuff. My brother and I have always been interested in, uh, like, regular, you know, tuner cars and stuff like that. Um... I'd say we started to find things to bond on, you know, car-related, but not racing-related, on the sidelines. And we bonded over those things. Uh, we also went to school together our entire lives. You know, obviously, he's a year older. Um, mm -hmm. That may not be obvious to viewers, but he's a year older. <laughs> um, so we, didn't, we weren't in classes together and stuff. But um, I've always had him help me for homework, you know, homework help, because he was older and did it already. Um, and then we started to you know, learn more about, I guess, like like, it, like I just mentioned, um, tuning cars and stuff like that. And we've always found each other good to bounce ideas off, so, off of and play Gran Turismo together and all this other nonsense. Um, and it just got better and better and better as we got older. And now we both attend UNC Charlotte um, for college and we live together. So it's... We managed to find it, find a way to, to make it healthy. I'd say probably once we stopped racing directly against each other, when I turned, I think I turned like 13 into Mini Max or Junior Max, and we weren't direct competitors um, anymore, um, but we still were able to benefit from each other's you know, learnings. You guys are both, guys are both at, at Charlotte. Are you in the formula? SAE, SAE program? program? We are not. We are not in the form of SAE program. Um, we don't... It, it's tough because that takes a large time commitment and yeah. you know, driving and doing that doesn't really work, unfortunately. So um, it's just a big time commitment we can't make. So we're not in that. You're in, you're in the, you're the, in the, the real ball, ball game? game? Not the... Not the... <laughs> yeah, we're... <laughs> You know, we're, we're involved in the Road to Indy, well, now known as the USF Pro Championships, and we've spent our whole lives racing, so it's not pretend, but it's it's just not the level that we've been able to, to get to and race at for so long, so it's not the greatest use of time when you know, I could be doing things like this. <laughs> When, when, when you, when went, you to went to Europe, Europe for karting, was that a whole, that family, a whole family affair? Did you guys, you guys all, all go? go? Or did you and your brother, and your brother go by yourselves? The first year, um, mom and dad tried to come to most of the events. But actually, it did evolve into, uh, you know, 
mom sending her 13-year-old son on a plane overseas and having him hang out with some guys that don't speak English. <laughs> um, uh, but my brother and I were always together um, for the most part. His first year was a year before mine, so he, okay. was, he was alone. Mom came for race weekends. Sometimes dad came for race weekends too. Um, but he was ma mainly alone with the team for like testing and stuff, for practice. Mm -hmm. He was alone. You know, you sent him on an unaccompanied minor, you know, so the airline can deal with him on the way over there. And then you plop him in the hands of the team. And it was the same way for me. Um, Mom and Dad usually came in on Fridays, watch the race, and go home. Whereas we had to be there, you know, Tuesday. So, See, you a, flew for the race for weekend. You didn't yeah, live there. We, we commuted to every event still wow. living here. That's part of why it was it was so difficult to, um, you know, get used to that environment, because there's you know, obviously there's a there's a time zone difference <laughs> for yeah. one, yeah. Uh, and then there's the the school dilemma, whereas if we lived there we couldn't go to school, um, and our parents and my brother and I never wanted to do homeschooling. We think we would have missed out on some. You know, crucial development in our lives and our social lives. We, we wanted to prioritize those things as well because, you know, in the unlikely event that racing doesn't go somewhere, you need to have something. You need to come from somewhere. So we valued our, our uh, you know, our social lives and our home life. How did you How manage, did you manage school? school and flying to Europe every weekend or other, other weekend? School was very cooperative with us. Um, I went to a school called Iona Preparatory School. Um, I went there kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Um, it's a it's an all-boys Catholic school um, mm -hmm. and we've always gotten along with all the teachers there and you know, the school principal and the president and they they really appreciated what we were doing and what our parents were doing to put us, you know, where we wanted to be and supporting our our careers. So they thought, you know, we should do the same. So the school was very extremely supportive of us, um, with some, you know, extending some deadlines or you know, making up tests and creating new homework assignments if you know, so you don't use your classmates to cheat. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they were extremely supportive of our of uh, our endeavors, so uh, we can definitely thank them for for that all the way from kindergarten through twelfth grade. You know, there in in my hour and a half conversation that I had with with your mom earlier this week, I I was really impressed with something. I think people today don't focus on like high, 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 output high output in life. life. I think they I kind, think of, kind of find a place of comfort, comfort and, stay and stay there until there's discomfort and then they and try to find try comfort, comfort again. again. And I was really, I'm impressed, really impressed with how much ownership, ownership that, that you and your, you and your brother, brother take over your career and your life, life, your schedule, and just and how Driven, and you—you you can dig into this more than I can. I can go over it, but just most young drivers either 
drop out of school and race, or they take some sort of home tutoring and race, or they go to school and don't race or don't make it a priority. You've kind of done both. And I, and I think that's really admirable because a race car driver doesn't just go to school and race. They have to go to school. They have to have a social life. They have to work out because it's a physically demanding sport. How do you manage all that stuff? Fortunately, working out has been covered. Um, we have a lovely partner, UFC Jim Amaranek. Um, the, uh, the owner of the gym is an alum from our school, or his kids currently in the school. So we made a good connection through Iona um, to them, and they've happily supported us um, you know, with memberships there. So our, our training regimen's in very good hands over there at UFC gym. Um, as far as managing everything else, it gets complicated. <laughs> um, you know, very busy weekends, long days, but it's it can be manageable with some of the skills we've learned while while racing. Um, you know, some of the people we've met through whatever event we're doing, like for example, I was brought on in the beginning of. 21, uh, yeah, towards the end of 2021 to do a Team USA scholarship. Um, and through that, I actually got to meet some cool people who were very helpful for like media training, stuff like that. So that was useful. You know, I, they taught me how to do those things. Um, through high school, we've, our school's been very adamant about, um, time management stuff and we actually had a leadership program which I got to do um, for a whole year my senior year which taught us some values that you know, I don't think you typically get uh, out of a, of a public school so I'm, I'm grateful that Iona has a program like that um, but as far as the, the racing business stuff goes we do all of it ourselves um, like our, our marketing is the four of us you know one of us figures how to do something out. <laughs> um, like, I was sitting there yesterday trying to learn how to use Photoshop, because I have no idea what I'm doing on that app, but <laughs> um, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, we, Canva. Canva. If, you guys, if, you guys, if you guys need help, need help. Canva. We'll Canva has been very long helpful. Long. I've used some of their, uh, some of their templates for pre-race event, like schedules and stuff, and I put those on social media. But... <laughs> Um, we just, we find a way. I don't even know how to explain it. There's, you know, four, four of us, so you can distribute things pretty, pretty far and wide, because we're all into it. Um, it's not like, you know, say other families where one of the kids races, and, you know, then there's a little less support. But, you know, Michael can do something, I can do something, Mom can do something, Dad can do something. And all the people we've met over the years that are invested in us and want to help us, they can do something too. Um, like, for example, we work with uh, Art Wilmus at Rising Star Racing, and he's been incredibly supportive, and he helps us you know, put together business propositions and stuff like that. Um, and we've met people through some of the stuff we're members at back here um, at home. There's a, a car club in Manhattan where we've met cool people through... Um, one of the guys we put on the car, a little motor media sticker, he's helped us with you know, those things. Mm -hmm. 
people through him help us with our hero cards and our posters. Um, so we've just found this this small group, this clan of people that have all contributed something somewhere. So do you feel do you feel like having, like having high functioning high parents function has rubbed off on you guys too? I think it, your dad runs dad his own company. You know, your mom is working hard and they work really hard to support you guys. Do you feel like that rubs off on you? Resourceful. it does. That's the word that comes to mind. I I believe it does, um, or at least I hope so. Uh, I hope other people see it that way. Uh, I, I'd say it does. I mean, they, they definitely push us very hard, but it's, you know, it's... What parents are for. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to help their kids be what they want to become and be the best that they can be. So, you know, I think we all work very hard, and they've worked very hard to to give us the experiences and knowledge to be able to push ourselves almost once we get old enough. So, yeah, I, I think it rubs off. So, in so in, in the road, the road, the road to Indy, whatever they call it now, I'm just going to keep calling it the road to Indy. What's a typical What's a typical, what's a typical, typical week look like for, look you, like for you on season? On season. Between school, school racing, racing, family. family. Uh, I'd have to begin with a lot of emails. <laughs> um, whether it's talking to teachers about uh, the time I'm going to miss um, and what I can do on the school side while I'm away, um, talking to the teams about what they need from me. Uh, you know, if we're having guests, I gotta email them all the guests that are coming to the race weekends. Um, so race weekends are definitely, or race weeks are definitely busy. Um, you know, the week before usually we're booking, well, hopefully more than the week before, but sometimes the week before we're booking flights, booking hotels, um, trying to figure out where the team is staying so I know how to get to and from the racetrack because mom and dad aren't always there and I can't rent a car because I'm only 19. So, um... <laughs> Uh, it's definitely a lot of emails and phone calls. <laughs> Seeing if I have any tests coming up at school and if I can take them early. Um, just stuff like that. And then you got to leave on you know, Tuesday night or Wednesday night sometimes um, to get to the racetrack. So then you're busy all week once you're gone. Um, but yeah, emails, <laughs> phone calls. And um, after every weekend we go over our equipment to make sure that we're all set for the next race. So I'd, I'd say we definitely, I don't want to forget that one. We do, we do that before we leave too. <laughs> How do you, How do okay. You, okay. I know a I lot know of drivers, drivers don't, don't move up, up a rung of the ladder, ladder every, single every single season. season. How do you, how like, do you, how do you, like, you as a driver decide, decide it's time, time to step, to step up? up. Like, it's time to step up the ladder and go towards what you're doing. Is that how much confidence you have in the car? How much you feel like you can compete against the competition that season? Sponsorship? What, like, what, what drives that? Those things are typically result-driven, but budget is a, a large... Um, a large consideration in trying to figure out, am I ready to move forward? Um, you have a lot of people helping you with those decisions. For example, the team you're running with, 
you know, if they have a car at the higher level, for example, a lot of USF 2000 teams have USF Pro teams, or USF Pro 2000 teams, um, formerly known as Indy Pro 2000. Um, they try to push you towards a certain decision because they think it's better for you. Um, and their thoughts definitely are extremely valued, you know, in terms of what we think. So the team has a, a big say. Um, the driver, how they feel exactly, like, like you mentioned, if they're comfortable in the car, if they're comfortable with the people they're racing against, um, how they feel if they could move forward. Um, the results definitely drive a lot of it. You know, if you get fifth in the championship, you did well. You could do better. <laughs> so, do you want to spend, you know, that much more to go do okay again, or do you want to go spend the same amount you just did this year and try and bring home a win? That's what we did for my brother. Um, for us specifically, I'd say. We typically run things by Cape Motorsports because that's who Michael's been with the last three years. Um, Dominic and Nicholas Cape are extremely, extremely uh, well experienced in the um, Road to Indy Ladder and Motorsports. Um, we run it by my team I ran for last year, um, Jeff Bouchard at Team Pelfrey. He's used to work in IndyCar, Indy Lights, and and he's been in it so long he can kind of help guide us to, you know, people he likes or who he knows um, and help, you know, weigh our thoughts about what teams to go to, what budget should be, or um, if I'm ready to move forward. Because they're going to be blunt with you, if, especially if they're not the team you're going to. If it's someone you've been with in the past and you can't go with them again, for example, like I have, Jeff, he doesn't, Team Pelfrey doesn't have anything in the road to Indy. So he's going to give you a very... You know, straightforward. I don't think you're ready, or I think you're ready. So, you definitely weigh those decisions in. Um, but there's a, there's a there's definitely a lot that goes to it. Budget's a big one too. So, do you do you raise all your own sponsor dollars? Are you out there asking? Yes. <laughs> um, some of it comes from you know mom. Some of it comes from dad. A lot of it comes from Michael and I as well. Um, and we have you know, Art Wilmus, who we work with at Rising Star Racing, who tries to help you know, with connections and stuff as well. Um, but it's, it's completely family-driven. Um, we typically find the small network of people to do, whether it's business-to-business -business stuff or you know, offer experiences, um, which is what you know, this company right here, Deerlando Enterprises, is for. That's our little family racing company. Um, you know, we, we do a couple of things. Like, for example, if you have a sponsor that wants to go to the Indy 500, but he doesn't know anybody who has a suite, we do. You know, mm -hmm. he can go to that and return. He'll help us somehow. So, you, you try to. That's how we try to find um, ways to do things. But it's totally, totally family oriented. Um, whoever we know, we reach out to and see what we can do. Yeah, I. Yeah, I just before, Just before I had, I had you, you hop, on, hop here, on here, I had the I had head, head of, of sponsorships and partnerships, and partnerships for, Sauber for Sauber on the show on this the morning, morning, and we were talking about, you know, just the massive, the massive misunderstanding, misunderstanding of 
the value that sponsorship brings to motorsport because I think a lot of people that sponsor motorsport are passionate about it. And, you know, we, we were just talking about companies don't put enough emphasis on sponsoring young drivers because the, the ESPN contracts aren't with the Road to Indy or Formula 4 or National Karting Championships. But drivers like Lewis Hamilton, Hamilton, Will Power, these guys are there because companies believed in their story, saw their results, and wrote them a check every year to get them there. And I think... You know, you know, one one, one thing one that thing I try to do on this show is showcase people like you and your brother and other drivers that are out there asking for sponsorships and, and just being a disconnect between what what that actually delivers them. Because a sponsor that Mercedes that stuck by Lewis Hamilton when he was a kid, he's still racing for them and is obnoxiously loyal to them and so i think you know sponsors that sponsor nick today will have a much easier call it barrier lower barrier to entry when you are driving an indy car five years from now ten years from now whatever that is and a much more loyal partnership will exist at that point which would be extremely valuable to them for content, for a story, for an experience, for access. It's a really great conversation about how valuable it is for businesses to support young, talented drivers that are actually going for it. And I, I hear that from you and your, your parents, is there's great sacrifice because there's there's a lot of talent and a lot of opportunity with, with both you and your brother. I mean, you guys both unbelievable results and stories. It's not, it's not some billionaire trust fund kid, you know, doing whatever he wants and dad's, dad's dying. And if it goes away, then he just jumps on the yacht and grabs a cigar and does nothing for the rest of their life. You know, it's either this or nothing for you guys. And I think that's always a compelling story. So, so, all that to all be, that said, be said, what, what what's something, what's something about, about you that people might, people not, might know? not know? Something about me that people might not know. This is how we let how the we audience, audience know this is not scripted, not scripted too. So. <laughs> ah, that's a great question. What if I don't know? Then what? <laughs> um, what do you what do you do? Do you have, do you have hobbies? hobbies? Like what do you, like, what, do you what do you do for fun, do for fun besides, racing? besides racing? Well, what I do for fun um, is still very car oriented. <laughs> uh, down at school, um, we have a, a large car community um, that one of my friends has put together, and you know, we now work with him on. Um, there's like sixty of us <laughs> that. Now, some of us are certified mechanics, some of us uh, are just, you know, like me, I, I'm i not certified mechanic, I don't have any mechanic background, but I'm still running around with my little, my little golf, <laughs> trying to do what I can. <laughs> um, so, 
all the stuff I do on my own is car stuff. I we host and organize small car meets where we go and talk about cars. <laughs> um, you know, we go on drives. We try to go visit places like. Down in North Carolina, there's a road called Tale of the Dragon that we want to go take an event to. Um, it's it's just cars, cars, cars for us. <laughs> We've always been interested in it, so we figured you know, we'll just try to find people that do that. So I, I drive a, a 2012 Volkswagen Golf R, my okay. little little two door hatch. Um, they made them in four, but I have a two-door. <laughs> and my brother drives a, a 2013 WRX hatchback. So um, dad and mom both thought that it was a good thing to um, support us and support us with. And they allowed us to get, uh, you know, these fun little hot hatches. But, you know, we're from New York, so we had car requirements. It was, they had to be manual because you pay more attention, and we wanted that. <laughs> um, they had to be all-wheel drive because we live on a hill in New York and you can't get home if it snows. And they have to have enough space to get you to and from college. Um, so your options start to really get limited. Unless you want a Subaru Outback. I don't. So, so um, we found two little you know, hot hatch all-wheel drive cars and... That's what we, we run around with on a daily basis, and that's pretty much where our, our, our lives are. Other than that, occasionally I go and play soccer with my friends, because I still like that sport, even though it's not my main thing. I'm not very good at it, but it's fun to run around and kick a ball. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'd say that's kind of about it. We go to all the events we can, racing-related, like we went to the Petit Le Mans, because um, that's a lot of fun. Um, we go to, you know, watch autocross events, you know, see people do drift stuff at a local track or just just whatever. Um, we used to do, we used to drive up uh, about an hour north of here when we were still home to go hop on a sim every once in a while for some of those small race series that we've been invited to. Because the series, um, the Road to Indy used to do like an E-series and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. So... We used to do that stuff, but we don't personally own a sim, um, so we can't continue to do that. But you know, maybe that's something we should try to look into if we can. Um, it, uh, look, I got a rule: if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, if you don't have a sim and you have these types of results, I'd say stick with what you're doing. You, uh, <laughs> you've, uh, yeah, maybe you we should. Figure it out. <laughs> So, what? So I like your parents even more now. My my parents would not teach me how to drive unless it was with a manual. And I drove a manual until I got married. When my my wife made me get rid of it because I couldn't hold her hand while we were driving. And that's that's my history with five speed. So now we tell our son who's also into tuners. You know, if you, you know, want a manual, want a manual your girlfriend's going to get upset because she can't hold your hand, which is, at this age, probably good. But uh, <laughs> you can't find them anywhere. You can't find them anywhere. Like, he's looked, and he can't find them. He wants to get his first car. They're they're really tough to find these days. It's definitely so what, difficult to find them. 
What has been your pinch me moment? 15 years in motorsport. What's your pinch me moment? I might have to say uh, 2021 season again. <laughs> um, you know, two years not driving anything, and by the end of the year, I got to you know, stand up on a podium with a trophy that said champion on it. Um, that was a that was definitely a, a wow, this just happened moment. Or you know, another one could be say a different championship um uh, i was the 2015 rotax mini max national champion um here in the u.s so that was a pretty interesting moment i actually remember that weekend pretty well um i dominated the whole weekend i won the race by i think a little over three seconds or something like that and to win a national championship like that um it was uh it was a wow i just did that <laughs> um so I'd say those two things are pretty high up there on the, wow, that just happened moments. <laughs> well, I'm sure there'll I'm be sure plenty there'll more. Be more. What, what, what didn't you expect, you expect in 15 years of motorsport? Like what, is, what, what has surprised you? So this one uh, is kind of interesting. Um, maybe not what everybody wants to hear, <laughs> but the most surprising thing was Sadly, how many times I've seen my brother fly upside down in a car or cart. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's that's pretty surprising to be sitting on the sidelines and watching your, you know, your brother fly through the air like Superman in a go kart six times. That was uh, that's, I'd say that probably takes the uh, takes the cake. <laughs> Does that make you that nervous, make to, nervous race, to race, or is it just... I mean, do you no, guys even have any fear? <laughs> it, it doesn't make me nervous to race. Um, it doesn't make him nervous either. It's it's all that much better when, you know, he comes off the racetrack and he goes, Did you see that? <laughs> so, you know, you're not you're not scared. You know, he, he got back up and he drove the next race. You know, I, I flipped, well, fortunately only once. Um, but I flipped before, and it was, yeah, it was unfortunate, but I got back up, and I raced the next day, too. So definitely definitely not scaring me. Who's your most Who's your trusted, most trusted confidant, confidant on the track? track? It's a competitive world. world. You're your most you're trusted confidant. confidant. Like, who? Like, it's a, it's it's a competitive, competitive world. world. It's a secretive it's world. world. There's a lot There's of trade, a lot of secrets. trade There's, secrets. There's, you know... You know uh, I don't know. There's lots of things that happen, but you know, I I I realize that drivers generally have like one or two or three people that you know they can rely on to you know not be in their pockets, not 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 have their best interest at heart, and really can like be honest and be like, you know, that was a really bad race, like you know, or that was a really dumb mistake that you made, or I don't agree with this decision that you're trying to uh, to make. Like, who, like who's, who's that person that, that person will always that will shoot you straight? Usually it's my brother. Uh, yeah. But if I was to pick somebody else, for example, in 2021, it was my engineer and team owner, Jeff Bouchard. Um, but typically, typically it's my brother. You know, he, he'll be very blunt with me all the time. You know, very, you know, not 
for lack of a better term, you know, no bullshit. He'll he'll tell me what he thought, and um, you know, a better way to do something if there is a better way to do it. And I believe him, you know, every time. So are you guys going to be like the Andretti's? Going to both be on the grid at the 500? Yes. Yep. The goal is to uh, cover two of those three front row spots. <laughs> you know, the top two. Well, if, you, if you need a contact, you let me know. They're very good people. So is that that's the ultimate goal? IndyCar? Is that the five-year plan? The three-year plan? IndyCar's been the the all-time goal for you know this this entire journey. Um, now that I'm in USF 2000, you know the perfect goal would be you know, one, two, three, four years. You know, win USF 2000 this year, win in, uh, USF Pro 2000 next year, win Indy next, and then I'd be in IndyCar. But you know, I say four because ideally win IndyCar, but you know the odds of that <laughs> your first year. So um, three, three would be perfect. Three, four would be perfect for me. And my brother, probably, you know, a little less. We'll see. You know, two, three, hopefully. What, what, what do you, what get, do you get for winning for the series? I mean, there, I mean, there's, there's, what do they call them? Um, um, scholarships? scholarships? I mean, does that, I mean, does ensure, that ensure a drive? for the next season season. the scholarship does not fully ensure a drive for the next season but it does take a large chunk out of um, what you have to find so uh, next season I believe it's valued at I think 440 something thousand for USF 2000 if you win which covers um, everything official in the in the series plus a little extra Um, it covers like a helmet and stuff uh, helmets some suits that's your extras, and then it covers your entry fees for every event. I believe official tires for every event. Um, I think that's probably maybe maybe a couple other things I can't quite remember. Um, I think team fee too. I think is included in there, um, so that the series will negotiate with the team um, with you to try and help um, you know settle on a, a final number. And then you and then still you need, still to, come need to come up with insurance, insurance and travel. travel and, and, I mean, this isn't two hundred dollar a month car insurance, right? This is real dollars. Yeah, you still have to come up with your insurance, all of your travel. Um, if you're going to do any testing with the team, um, not official testing, you have to come up with that too. Um, so yeah, testing, any pre-event costs. You know, if I don't know if your family wants you know, tickets to the event, you got to pay for those, of course. Um, so, insurance, uh, testing, travel, those things are still not covered. And then damages the are on you too, right? Yes, the damages are on us, uh, or, well, insurance if you have it. Because yeah. you don't have to have it. Okay. okay. So if you so have insurance, it'll help cover, cover damages. damages. If you don't have insurance, don't, have insurance. don't make mistakes. Don't make mistakes. Yeah, definitely uh, don't make mistakes if you don't have insurance. Uh, the cars cost uh, a little bit of money. So. <laughs> uh, I won't get into that. I've heard, I've heard some of the details, and it's terrifying. So I, I don't know if I would. Maybe it's because I'm 40 years old, but 
I'd be terrified to race a car around the track knowing what I know. So you guys, you guys are rock stars, real life rock stars, fighter pilots, maybe is a better word. So what, what advice is, as we kind of get wrapped up, I, I always have kind of two important feats for the show is for people to get to know you but also but for also young for people, people that are trying to get into motorsports for whatever capacity that is, just a, a roadmap or a realistic insight on what that looks like. What what advice would you have for young drivers that are like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good in a rental league and I want to go to IndyCar. What advice do you have for them? Some advice I could give from our experiences is you don't really need to start that early. We started at five and six, and to be honest, I don't, I don't think there's a large learning curve until you get to around 10. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty good advice, I'd say, for, some, for parents. Kids are less likely going to listen to that if they're five years old. So uh, <laughs> anyone who wants to go into... Yeah, from, from rental karting, you definitely need to do real karting, outdoor karting, at least for a couple years. Because there's, there's so much you learn that costs a lot more to learn in a race car. You learn racecraft, which is incredibly important. You learn how to follow people. In karting, you even learn how to hit people, which is not, you're not supposed to do that, but it happens. So, um, <laughs> you learn how to handle yourself. You learn how to go fast. Um, the movements in karting are a lot quicker. Even though you're going slower, it takes so much physicality and, and your reaction time has to be absolutely spot on in go-karts. Because um, you're, you're in a such smaller, confined space and you're around you know, 35 people at once. In a car, mm -hmm. usually you're only fighting one or two guys. So you definitely need to learn how to do those things. Um, so learn that in a go-kart. For a couple of years, um, we did karting for 11 years. Uh, yeah, 11 years is how long I raced the go kart for. You might not need 11, but you need at least six. <laughs> so you know, find somewhere seven, eight, maybe even nine years um, to get into uh, to being a go kart, if possible. And also on the other side of that, don't go to cars too early either. I think if you look at the statistic, the youngest USF 2000 champion, I believe, could be incorrect, but I believe is 19. And if it's not 19, it was 18 and it was recent. So there's no reason to jump into, you know, say USF 2000 as a 14 or 15 year old kid. I mean, you could, but I personally don't quite understand the rush. I think there's other things to learn in the highest level of go-karting first. Do you think there's think enough there's strength in a 14-year-old? I unfortunately have to say yes, because <laughs> there are ones proving it. <laughs> um, but there's definitely a difference in the, um, in the success levels of people who are physically fit to do it and people who aren't. Um, so yes, it's possible. They could definitely wheel a car around. And, I've, and I personally know one who's very, very quick, who's young. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that it's impossible. It's just if you look at 
you know, history, it's a lot less likely you're going to do extraordinary at that age. Um, and younger kids aren't as mentally fit typically either. You have to be pretty mature for your age to be able to handle some of the things you have to deal with um, in USF 2000 or higher at 14 or 15 years old. So it, it can definitely be um, a, you know, one of the things that they would struggle with if you jump into it so soon. That's good advice. That's solid advice. Today has been a day of amazing advice, I got to say. And it's been different. Normally it's pretty pretty relative, pretty much the same. But today, every guest I've had on the show has given me something I've never heard before. So, solid advice. How do people find you? I'm pretty easy to find, if you know my name. Um, all social media, it's Nick D. Orlando. Um, so that's that's pretty pretty easy. Um, actually, my LinkedIn is my full name, Nicholas D. Orlando, and my Facebook is also that. Um, so I guess you know half is my full name, and the other half is Nick. So Twitter and Instagram are Nick D. Orlando. Facebook and LinkedIn are Nicholas D. Orlando. Um, so pretty easy to find when it comes to that. Uh, no TikTok can, yet. Pardon? No TikTok yet? I do have one. I have not started using it. Um, that one's, uh, that one's, I'm on the edge with, you know, hearing what I hear. You know, I don't know, I don't know how to use it either. So I should probably figure that out. But um, another good way to, to find me um, is at our website, www.dorlandoracing.com. It's a really, you know, that's an easy way to find someone on their website. So, <laughs> okay. So now okay, here, so here's the million, here's dollar, million question. dollar question. How can the How world can of motorsports motor help, help Nick D. Orlando? So anyone so listening, listening on this show, on this show to your conversation, your how can they help, can you? help you? The best way to help Nick D. Orlando is by introducing him to more people. <laughs> Um, contacts are um, one of the things we're starting to, I'd say, run out of. Contacts help build budgets and funding, so um, that's definitely really important. And not only do they, you know, help with those things, you get to do more. Um, you know, some people can't offer you money, but they can offer you perks, like mm -hmm. our, our gym. You know, it's it's not money, but we get to work out there, and they can plan. You know, training regiments and stuff for us. Um, so, you know, things like that as well. But I think the best way, the best way to help, you know, me is financial support. Probably is the you know, the number one thing. So, contacts, <laughs> listeners, go to his website, go to LinkedIn, send him a message, get involved. I can't tell I can't you guys tell you how, how important, important it, is it is for the drivers, the drivers that, that, that I know, I know much, more much more than I know than Nicholas. I know Nicholas. You, know, you know, it is it is, it is a it very, is very synergetic, synergetic relationship. relationship. You're a business, You're a business owner. owner. To have, have a young, young person, person in an organization, organization that, that can talk, talk about high-functioning high people, people. To have somebody, to have somebody like, Nick like Nick or Nick's or brother, Nick's brother come, in come in to your business, your business and, and 
describe going to school, traveling the world, going to races, doing all those things successfully, having a life, having a family, shows people inside your organization how it can be done, and it encourages them through their stories to be able to accomplish that. Every business owner and leader that I've ever come in contact with always wants people like Nick inside their organization to tell their story. And I encourage you to, to reach out to, to them because the, the relationship is, is really important. So it's really important to, to reach out to them and to be involved. Plus the perks that it offers your business. Um, you know, if you are a B2B company, to be around the paddock, even in a support series, I can personally tell you that I have gotten business in USF 2000 in the paddock garage by just being present. And that, that access comes through people like Nick. So I'd encourage you guys to do it, or at least knock on doors and inquire uh, and, and exchange business cards. Nick, man, seriously, thank you so, thank much, you so much for being on the, being show. On the show. Thank you for being around. Being around. Um, um, you know, you know just, on just on a quick additional, additional note, note, when you invest, when you invest in the Dolandos, it's, like it's like double for, double your, trouble, for your trouble, if I can, if say, I can that, say that, because you have two, you brothers, have two brothers in two different, two different levels, levels of motorsport motor promoting yourself. So... Nick, man, Nick thank man, you so much for so coming much on. Coming thank on. you for your time. Your family's family awesome. awesome. I can't wait to have every other every member other of your family, family on the show because it's a kind of an ongoing story, story, story people want to be around. So, so I, appreciate I appreciate it. it. Thanks a billion. It's been a pleasure, Ryan. Likewise. Likewise.